0: Before I go any further, a disclaimer about the podcast and the content spoken in each episode. Myself and my guests, we do mention uh, massacres or um, deaths of individuals. We do talk uh, about some heavy content um, in our Frontier War story. So I do want to put a disclaimer for Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners as well. Welcome to Frontier War Stories. Before I go any further, I would like to pay my respects to the country on which I am recording this podcast from, and also wherever my guest is from and the listeners. I would also uh, like to acknowledge uh, the Aboriginal people who fought in the Frontier Wars, which began as early as 1788 and lasted till the 1930s. That's roughly 140 years that Aboriginal people continued to fight. I would also like to pay my respects to all Aboriginal and Torres people across Australia. Each episode, I speak with Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about books, research and oral histories which document the first 140 years of conflict and resistance. These times are the frontier wars and these are our war stories. In episode 19, I chat with Ray Kirkhove. Um, I've had him on the on, on the podcast quite a few times, that many times I think he should become a co-host because I'm always um, chatting with him or bumping him in, bumping into him at at different um, events um, around Brisbane. But um, thanks for coming on again, Ray, and it's always good to have a chat with you. Well, thank you. I'm morning. I wanted to sort of you know have a chat with you about um, significant areas or you know areas of significance. Um, Today you know, like um in the past i've chatted to you about um one tree hill um, i've chatted to you about um uh, the, the the site where dudeley was hung um and so I'd, I'd love to sort of build on that, but then also some of the figures um, the frontier figures uh, and the reason why I wanted to sort of focus on uh these places of where these battles happened and these individuals uh is because um today you know um it's becoming, uh, you know, these areas where these battles and uh, um, um, and these individuals are from uh, are everyday areas now. They're where shopping malls are. They're where schools may be, maybe somebody's backyard. It may be where you work. Um, These are real significant places um, of relevance today to people. And um, I think when we talk about history... And especially Aboriginal history um, and frontier conflict, uh, we tend to not realize um, the true history of what happened in our own backyards you know in our own sort of <clears throat> uh, parks and you know uh, you know places that are that are, that are near to us or, or where we work as well so I'd love to just sort of chat with you about um, some um, some of these key areas sure.
1: uh, yeah as you might know that's a big interest of mine is sort of what I call site history is trying to work out exactly what happened where and um, um, you know the, the layout of the land and, and all the components in it. That's something I do probably every day. Uh, I think it's really important because the, the problem you often find with how fronty war is received in the general public is that it, it's too vague. You know, there's, there's not specific spots. There's not enough monuments. Uh, it's often considered this as something that happened long ago and far away, almost like a fairy tale, you know, like way, way in another galaxy in the outback, um,
0: or my- a, or a distant time ago. It happened. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it, it happened. happened at- yeah, yeah. You know, it, it happened at a time when there was no infrastructure there, and it happened, you know, in the eighteen or seventeen hundreds. Yeah, and and it, it sometimes it's just about looking
1: at the same buildings in the same areas and with a different light. I'll give you an example. You've got Newstead House, which is a sort of cornerstone of early Brisbane. It's the, the old building and it's, um, you know, associated with a number of the uh, key government figures that, that, that lived there and so on. But what the other side of that story is, which is that they're now honouring, they're, they're now doing a bit on, uh, they've put some panels and things on, is that it was sort of like the front line and um, it was where the, the, the police commissioner lived. It was um, where a lot of government decisions were made. And you basically had a, uh, what you'd call a frontier or, the, or a war zone along the, um, uh, the creek there because that's where they were, they used to drive the Aboriginal people out to the other side of the creek and there were a whole lot of, uh, camps or villages on the other side that the police kept burning down but that Aboriginal people kept building up and, and that went on for decades and decades and decades with, with, uh, little battles all through there. So you have this majestic building that's actually sort of, um, it's got a military side to it you could say and you could do that for many places in, in Queensland it's not so much that you have to kind of like uh, let's scrape out something and, and and make something here that's not there another example if you've ever been up to moray fields and most people don't know they, they just go into where the shopping center is but on the other side getting towards the coast on moray fields is the original homestead and all of that, it's left is just the ruins of the Staircase and something and stuff like that, but it's a beautiful spot and there's, there's a big bunya grove there that's been there. That was actually planned by Aborigine people, but the interest of that is that um earlier that was the uh, cotton plantation and and um before that even started there was um King Johnny Boat and a number of uh, his people actually blockaded the uh, entrance of the creek there. Uh, and that went on for a while, and then
0: eventually. Oh, the yep! I've got a story. Yeah. Uh, my brother, yeah. he's, he's married into um, uh, um, his partner is bachelor, and my niece, she's bachelor. So from Fraser Island and Harvey Bay and <clears throat> and um, they and they would march every year for Invasion Day, and I don't get, I don't know the streets or the route, but they'd get to a certain part near Town Hall, um, right? And there would, and there was this tree. Um, and when one auntie, um, one year, I wasn't there, I, I got told, um, she goes, see that tree? She started going off and getting really upset and, and, and angry. She goes, that's, mm-hmm. the, uh, that's called the hanging tree. That's where they used to hang our, hang our people uh, from this tree and, 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 uh, um, and put them on display. And the next following year when they marched, that tree was removed. Oh, um, really? And then I remember I went up there last year and we pulled up out front of um, Town Hall and it has right. like you know, I think like eighteen oh four or something, or, like, uh, or um no, it has like some dates you know like that are, that, that that are dating back like early colonial times. Um, and because I know Mariborough was one of the main ports, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, for you know for southeast Queensland, um, or you know for for, for uh, this part of Queensland for quite some time, but because of I believe like the rivers were. I, I think it was just difficult for people to get there. So they made the Brisbane the capital, I believe it was. Um, but, but, anyways, yeah, like I remember she, was, yeah, she mentioned as well, like um, they used to hang black here as well. And she spoke about the, Kanak- uh, the, the Kanakas, the South Sea mob who come across as cane cutters and like the brutal history that happened to them as well. And, um, mm. yeah, like, like, like um, and, and you look at a lot of the buildings in Maribor, they're, they're really old colonial buildings as well.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah. And and so I think it's it's imperative that in time uh, we just give a lot of these structures a sort of a new interpretation. So it's not just uh, oh, this was where this is a fantastic mansion where so and so lived. It, it, it contains this other history. Uh, You know, there's but there are other spots that I find kind of um, we don't exactly know yet. Uh, before we went on on air, I was telling you about um uh behind uh that there was a big fight between the mm-hmm. the, the native police and uh, some 300 warriors and, and and in that case some three i think were injured or killed you know uh, that's white people and so that was unusual i'm thinking gosh we should try to locate these these things better so we can actually mark them where where they are but as i said often it's just places that we're already uh, habituated to using but they, they they just sort of need maybe a bit more um, uh, color put on, on 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 the whole story mm, uh, I think mm. it 'll happen in time and and, yeah. and I think we'll be richer for it it 's a shame like you, like what you said, like a hanging tree gets taken down and i, I know i 've had similar stories from other areas uh, that that unfortunately happens a lot but mm. and some of it's just people who don 't know any history and they just sort of bulldoze anything because they just want to put a shopping center or something yeah or and,
0: and, and like this has sort of got me thinking as well because um uh, where I'm from in northern New South Wales, a lot of the, uh, the massacres or a lot of our significant sites are now sort of located on farmers, uh, on the land that farmers supposedly own, and the gates yeah. are always locked, you know, um, and sometimes, and not all of them, like some of them are very hesitant to let Aboriginal people in um mm. maybe because they've destroyed some of these sites um they found some of these remains and you know like discarded or you know what I mean like um they're, they're willing to open it up as well and it's it's a funny conversation to have because all we sort of you know like I think lots of Aboriginal people who are not from the city have these stories you know mm. what I mean about these significant oh, yeah. areas where yeah. these where these events took place and and, and, and yeah, sort so of they, like they, and, and, and it's sort of like um like it's it's sort of like unknown it, it's like an unknown sort of um, thought or question to have to say, "Hey, that wouldn't have happened here. This is the city. You know, everybody. You know, I've I've grown up here my whole life. You know, I've you know, I I used to work in that building. So, you know, how could these things you know, actually happen or take place or you know, uh, in yeah. the city? Yeah, yeah, and
1: and I, I think um, it's also because Australia's grown up on this on this myth that that it didn't have a bloody start, whereas most other Parts of the world you go to, they they're just accustomed to it, and they they've got ways of incorporating that into their into their ethos and their, their sort of their national story in a way uh, they 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 can see both sides of it. They say, oh yeah, okay, but there was a lot of courage and there was a lot of you know initiatives on the people who were suffering, and they they can see kind of the other side of the you know what's the value to take it. Whereas in Australia, it seems to be like. Like almost like dirty laundry, you know, like oh we can 't talk, you know, mm. talk about the no we can 't talk about the war you know it's it's, it's like um,
0: it's, a, it's a wound that's you know what i mean too close to home or it 's something that's way too close to home, and I remember chatting with you um, I think it was when we when we had a chat about uh Dundalee, uh the commemoration, and I think you were mentioning how fast um you know and how brutal um the the i guess the, the invasion the invasion yeah. was compared to other countries yeah. yes you know, yeah that, that is true and then, and that, that's the other
1: thing too because it happened so much later than anywhere else in the world uh you know like you're talking three hundred years for, for north America and in, in most of australia it was forty years uh because it was just we just had penal colonies that that were the other yeah. earlier period like you could say so the first forty years of australia history. Was these penal colonies, but they didn't really go anywhere. They just were sort of self-contained. But then after that, you had this brutal and very sudden blitzkrieg that that went over the whole continent. Uh, so if you look at it, like by eighteen eighty, most of Australia had been so-called colonised, just just in, in in four decades. That's, that's, that's mm. not even a lifetime. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's very very quick, and um and and often too too quick for. Um, a lot of the Aboriginal groups to do a lot on, but yeah, so that's why it's, it's for me. It's it's exciting when I read about that period and see all the efforts that was put into um, resistance.
0: Mm, and and I, this sort of this is something I also wanted to chat with you as well. Is um, and you've mentioned this in the past as well about how um, how diverse and how you know, um, how big the sort of resistance was from Aboriginal people. And when I mean big and diverse, I mean like in terms of, you know, uh Europeans, uh, you know, that th- they were the minority and everywhere they went, you know, and I'm I'm sure not everywhere they went that yeah. that they, they were sort of met with aggression from Aboriginal people, but you know, it was more common back then to sort of um have more resistance and uh leaders or sort of more uh battles that, you know, Aboriginal people and, 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 and the you know, the Europeans had. More um, often well, in those times, is
1: that right? Yeah, but you, yeah, that's true. But it's also just like every human society has got a uh, you know, a defense force. Um, so you know, it, it's strange that you find people saying, Oh, well, how is it that you know, explorers would come to the shore and get, get killed? Well, actually, that's done everywhere, uh, unless mm. you actually know the intentions of the people you're dealing with, and uh, you know. You, you you line up your your, your forces and, and and give it a go, particularly if they're aggressive. I mean it, or, even, very, even
0: here, you know what I mean? Like I even have stories of my own mob like, you know, if you were coming to our mob, if you're coming into our country, you had to come in through the right protocols. And that's pretty much, yeah. you know, um uh mirrored in many other places around the country, you know, there was a there was a process, you know what I mean? Um and obviously well, we,
1: it, it's the same, yeah. it, it's exactly as we would do to today um the, the the protocols that i've read about was that you'd have to go up to the main camp and state your business and then they would tell you well you can go here and go there and they'd, they'd give you someone to go with you you know they'd say well no you can't go there but you can go here and so on you'd say well I, you know i'm passing through because i've got to get to see my i don't know my kin or i'm going to a ceremony or whatever it, it, there was a lot of travel through it wasn't like that That if uh, Every nation was sort of like sealed off. In fact, there was there was, there was constant coming and going, but it, it had to be done just like we do today. You know, it had to be done in orderly fashion. But if if someone is just sneaking around your country, then you would assume that they are up to no good because why didn't they come and ask you? You know, they could have asked you, uh, and you would have. And, and when you read about it, it's interesting. Like when you read uh, Leichhardt's accounts, people were just so nice everywhere he went. they... They would set him, and they always, you know, they, they made him a little place to stay, and they, they someone would go with him to the next spot. You know, I mean, it wasn't like they had no uh, sense of decency, but it's very obvious if you've got someone who's just not doing that and just sneaking around, then traditionally that would have been seen that person's either trying to do some black magic, um, or they they might be trying to steal a woman, or maybe they they're, they're they're trying to kill someone. So. They usually just get killed on the spot, you know, because um, they, you know, what the heck are they doing? Um, mm-hmm. And and what we don't see is that that was what white people did all the time, you know. It was actually the the exception for them to actually go to an indigenous village and ask, you know, or well, can I go here and there? It was it was more they just sort of went wherever they liked and broke all the rules, and then they were surprised that they got attacked. It's um mm-hmm. it's uh, and the same like explorers particularly was terrible like that. Um, that, and you 'll notice how the guides were often very very afraid and because they knew that they were doing everything wrong they were they, they knew that their their life was at risk constantly um yeah anyway but then, so that's that 's something and and i 've noticed that like when I look at the um what I call the coastal defense because i 've got this interesting account of um one of the whalers uh uh john bradley 's name was uh in eighteen thirty and he tells us tell, how he, he got shipwrecked off um, Morton Island. And so he, and all they had was a little whaleboat left. Uh, that their big boat got, got sunk, so they all pulled into the little whaleboat, which has a sail. It's like a sort of like a small dot, you could say, but it's not the size. And they, and they tried to make their way down the coast uh, to the nearest um, stop, which would be Port Stevens. But they felt, they found that wherever they went, they were driven off. And they, they couldn't understand it. But what was happening was right at that time when he was doing this was, was the big fight that that um, you know Dal Roster would have told you about with the um, with the soldiers. So that that, that that whole time, all the all the Pondamook were actually at war, and so whenever they saw a white person, they thought, well, you know, um, <laughs> they, they, I mean, get in Bradley before he gets us. Now, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they did. I mean, they would just think he's part of the of the uh, of the of the colony, which in in a way he is, even though he's a whaler. And, and he said that, that they would actually run up and down the, the, the shore and stop him from landing. And, they were, and he could see them signaling from one headland head, head, to the other. So he'd have to try to maneuver the boat such a way that they wouldn't see his boat. And then they'd try to sneak in at night because they, obviously, you know, when you're going down the coast, you, you run out of water and food. So they were trying to go somewhere where they'd get a little bit of water at least. But every time they tried, they, they were beaten. You know, people would run up and, and, um, and stop them. And, and this went all the way down. It was like 300, no, it was even more than that, 300 kilometres or longer, all the way until he got near Port Stephens. And then there was a group that was uh, friendlier. And I looked at that and I was trying to work out well, what was going on there. And then I realised that they were all the allies of the Quandamooka all the way down. And so they'd been just them down and just saying, well, look, um, there's some more white people here and they're probably connected with those soldiers over there. Um, so don't, don't give them an inch. And for me, it's interesting because it shows that even the coast was patrolled. And we, we have accounts from Cook, too. He talks about, like, when he was going around, that he could see that they were constantly signaling ahead. Uh, and even and if he landed somewhere, they'd actually also signal inland. He could see the, the, the um, smoke signals go from one hill to the next, going inland. So uh, people were constantly communicating and, and keeping a, an eye on, on the coast. It was a coastal defense. Uh, and, and you have to bear that in
0: mind. When well, you, when you and also, about. like, I, I, when I was chatting uh, with Dale, Uncle Dale as well, he, he mentioned um, that uh, one of the, the – there were three shipwrecked men um, that I, I, I either went to Australia or one of the adjacent islands from, Stratty, from Stradbroke. Um and, they from, and Finnegan. I think, and yeah, 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 yeah. Th- those blokes, yeah. yeah. And, and they were met with an Aboriginal person, I, I believe, speaking English and saying oh you know are you here to kill me or are you here to take something from me i believe it was um and then i go oh you know, what was the relation uh, into that and he mentioned how um the story from from down south got up got up to their mob and you know there was this communication um uh through um uh through the mobs to to, to either warn people and obviously as you mentioned you know there were there were a lot of a lot of whalers um in different yeah here which people were
1: well. They were, they were ahead of a lot of the explorers. But yes, now that, that is interesting because um, I, there's one book that, that fascinates me, and it was written by, um, by Roderick uh, Flanagan. He was a young English fellow who lived in Australia, and he wrote a book called The Aborigines of Australia, and he died only, uh, as a young man. Um, and he was writing in the 1850s, and, and he wrote this long chapter about what he called the uprising of 1842 to 1843. And he and he said, and it's interesting how he opens the chapter. He says, "Oh, well, all of you know," uh, like he's talking to his fellow fellow Australians. All of you remember that uh, that we were that we all had difficulties in those years, uh, from from Moreton Bay down to uh, uh, what's now uh, Melbourne, that whole area. And he and he said, and it seemed to be a coordinated effort. Now um, that sounds like you know, a crazy length, but um. Uh, at that time of course there was there was the first partial push out out from those areas that's probably part of the reason for the trouble but it it, it does come up and again and again and i and i'm thinking that probably things were coordinated on a much bigger level than we ever realized uh, you know when i when i looked into the whole thing that happened to, you know for what's now Southeast east queensland um you, we know that all those groups there was there was there was 13 to 15 groups at uh, the Bunyan mountains they all declared war now that's a that's a huge area that's sort of from uh, Bundaberg, all the way down to North New South Wales and inland to, um, you know, Dolby. That that whole area was de- was declaring war. Uh that's that's pretty
0: good. That's
1: a pretty good um, tally. Uh, and when I looked at this, they're mm. often they're often because they they previously there were there were confederacies. There were you'd have your mob, and they'd, they'd, usually there were two or three, maybe four other groups that you were kind of pretty good with. And when there were when there were uh, uh, tournaments or battles between groups you'd be you'd be fighting alongside your your um uh your allies yeah your allies and 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 so they seem to group back into these when when there was the the attacks by whites then then you would rely on your alliance your 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 confederacy because you couldn't pull in enough warriors just from your own group um whereas you could if you if you signal to it and and i have i have records of that like in south australia where they said um uh, they, uh, there was an exploratory camp and they set up a camp and they said and we, saw, we soon saw how um, quickly they could rally. They, they saw little smoke to, uh, pop up and then in no time there were 300 warriors in front of them. Um, that They would pulled them in from all different, you know, they weren't even their own group but they sort of got them all together. So there was like a, um, a bit like an emergency system just like we have now. Like if there's a you know, air raid shelters. Like, like if you have if there's, if there's a sudden um, attack on a, on a nation, and there's some sort of emergency uh, procedure, and that seems to be the case. What happened around Australia? Um, we know that they that the the messaging they had was was actually there, there were relay runners that, that that would take message sticks, and some of these and a lot of the message sticks actually had things like instructions for uh, uh, warfare. There, there was one that was uh, translated by. Um, David Unipo, you know, the one who fellas on, on the $50 note, know mm-hmm. a no, gerryman, and uh, he translated it, and it actually showed the, the, the different um, – uh, it, it's a set of instructions to all meet with the, the main um, – the head man, all the different groups to meet up with him and, uh, and, and where to practice for, for war and then where to signal. It was all shown on this, and he, and he translated the whole thing. Um, the direction of signaling, it was all – so that they, these things were actually quite complex. And, and there'd be runners who'd be doing this in relay, coming and going, coming and going constantly. There'd be smoke signaling going back and forth. There were also audio, uh, auditory signals. The one I, I read about was in, um, around Channel Country. They would actually uh, knock stones under water, and, and the, the, apparently the sound can travel quite far under water. And and wow, they is, would often. Wow, that is
0: amazing. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and and they would also do this. And and uh, Duncan again talks about the spies that they would also travel underwater for good distances, and then and then tap these stones to one another because obviously they were trying to avoid the scent, you know, when when um, you know whites were after them. So they'd travel part of the way inside the river and then get up, you know, so they wouldn't leave any tracks and they wouldn't leave any scent, you know. Um, so there's, there was a level there of of sophistication, which which. Uh, I think just gets um ignored too much. And and the same like the, the uh, like these alliances and, and, and how they work together. I have been trying to work this out uh, for a while. Um I know I know partly it was it was the big meetings they had and y you know that from the uh when they declared war against after the Kilco massacre there was a whole lot of meetings it's just mm-hmm. um Jimner and, and, and Taro and that. And I've got an account here from Olga Miller where she says it was something like fifty or more elders from all the different groups plus they hangers-on, so there must have been well, a few hundred, you know. Uh, and then they decide things, so you do, decide a strategy there and then go off and do it. And that would involve, so you got to think about it. Then each of these groups have their own leaders, so that they're all obviously doing things in their own area. Like we, you asked about Moppy, old Moppy. I think part of the reason he got killed so early was because the settlers realised that he was um, uh, a force to be reckoned with in the sense that he was someone that quite a lot of groups were aligned with. Um, mm, uh, and,
0: guess, yeah, and, and one of the reasons why I asked about him as well is because um, he's like part of this, he's part of this like chain of warriors, I guess, in, maybe in Southeast Queensland that, you know, um, once sort of one went down, like another one popped up or, yeah, or, yeah, or, or, I, guess they, or I guess like they're always there together but I guess there's just no record of them sort of interacting or, or, or speaking or, or, or you know, they mainly just focused on, on one and then once that other one was gone, they focused on another one as well. So, yeah, and I'd well, like we, to sort we, of chat know, about that, like this this whole yes, link yes. of sort of other warriors and stuff as well.
1: Mm. Well, well, the thing is, even if you look at those dates and you, you realise that everyone who was anyone went to the Bunya festivals and we know that they talked politics because uh, we have... That uh that's actually recorded by by uh, people like uh, James Davis, who was an escape convict who knew the language, and he was there attended so' say yeah that's, that's exactly what they 're talking about. they're talking about well what do we do um so even though we don't always have it recorded, we know that um that people like moppy and uh um, and all that would have actually been together uh at these meetings and representing their group and they they, they must have been discussing that sort of stuff um we, just by the by the fact that you've got the 13 different groups. Now, there's, there's all these different leaders in there. But, of course, they've all got their own agenda. And this is the same sort of thing that has uh, happened in uh, North America, where it gets a little bit um, confusing. Like, like, often, for white writers, they're saying, well, how come they're not all agreeing? Well, it's just like politics anywhere uh, in the world today and yesterday. Um, you yeah, know, there were factions. There were different views on what to do and what not to do. There were also different... Um, um, you know, past, you know, relationships you had with people, maybe they were good, maybe they were bad. Um, you know, or, or even just your connections with groups. Like I noticed with, with old Moppy, it was, uh, they called it the Mountain line. So he had, he, he had sort of, uh, there were, there were people from what's now, uh, what you'd call, um, Stanthorpe and, um, the Scenic Rim and the Darling Downs, uh, Esk, uh, Warwick, uh, and the Lockyer. They were all kind of like sort of what he was looking after in a way. Mm. Uh, but, but you know there'd be someone further north, like like Dundley was sort of more more further up there because he was more connected with with Brisbane and and the Sunshine Coast and all through there. So so there'd be different people would be uh, looking after different areas. but I, I still think you know because it's often thought oh look each group was just fighting for themselves. Well, actually that isn't the case because when you read most of the accounts, most of the the stories of the, um, uh, you know, when it's written down, like a, whether it was a skirmish or a battle, they talk about all the different groups that were involved. So they they committed they, they, uh, to they, they,
0: that, that. Yeah, and on that as well, I remember chatting with um, Lyndall Ryan and her mentioning that when the Bathus Wars was going on, I believe she was saying like, Uh, the tactics of of the Europeans at the time had to change, one, because of the terrain, but then also because of, I I believe, either Gumrawi people may have participated or they were like, they're watching, you know, to see who these people were and how they fought. So then, you know, when they come up to my country, you know, they spent more money, you know, resources, resource-wise, you know, they... Know, um, gave horseback not just to the to the to the military, or you know, they also gave horseback to like um, you know other people who were participating in fighting against sort of you know the Aboriginal people uh, uh, in that area as well. Like they had to sort of change that one, yeah, because you know all of this com- all of this conversation or all of this you know whatever was happening between the mob, you know, warning each other. Um, you know, sort of signalling each other to say, hey, you know, maybe this is what they're doing, this is how they're doing, or whatever was happening, like,
1: yeah, there, there mm-hmm. would have
0: been, yeah, like, you know, some sort of communication uh, oh, well, yeah. between the mob yeah. and then also, you know, uh, sort of adapting maybe to sort of, um, to change their fighting style to sort of maybe uh, be at par or sort of, you know, um, knowing how to sort of, w- when's the right time to attack.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's definitely a lot of that, and you can see, like, um, it's interesting how often in the early stages there, there's the expectation that they can meet um, white people in just a open battle. You know, in um, contrary to, to what is often asserted, there was there was a long tradition of very formalized open battles that you had if you had a grievance, and, that, and you can see them trying to do that, but then it doesn't kind of work because you know uh, the firepower is pretty bad but then they would do the kind of the same thing but using the, the cover of trees. Uh, a good example is what they did on, on Strap Ropes. They used the swamps and the trees, but they still tried to do kind of an open battle against against the white, so using, again, a, a large number of warriors from different groups and so on. Um, and and it, it's interesting that the, there's so much of this, what they call the payback, which is the one-on-one, just knocking people off here and there, which is a, it's a very useful form of terrorism because it, if nobody knows, whether they're safe and if it's just out of the blue, somebody gets killed here and there um that that's quite effective and it's it's somewhat more effective than killing a lot of people in in one in one hit um and it's it's very much that and a lot of it was more like we talked about before you know the economic sabotage of just Removing the economic base from the settlers, and then then they're they're basically stuffed. They can't. <laughs> there's nothing to live on because you you just uh, you keep decimating their their flock or taking the entire flock or burning their their stores, so that they can't go on. Um, and that's why you find often the runs were repeatedly resold to other people. Uh, and and in, the t- in that time, they're often lying uh, un- unattended. I've got one a case from. In Creek, and they were talking to some of the Aboriginal people there. Uh, the, the, these were the first settlers to come back there in a while, and they, they said, "Oh, gee, well, the last lot of whites here was like, you know, it was like 20 years." You know, so, so they kept them out of that country for 20 years, um, and and that's something to remember because mm. even though white people might put all these little lines all over the the ground, it was pretty meaningless uh, on the ground because uh, um, unless they could actually occupy those areas, it's just a fantasy that they've invented that that they own that area, uh, and, and often these people that own certain areas they they weren't able to occupy the areas because of the tenacity of of the of the resistance, and so they were just uh, trying to see who else they could give or sell their land to. Uh, so and that that's worth remembering that if you're actually an average person living on the ground there, it looks pretty good because you know years go by and um the white people are gone, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say something about the, cause I've been doing some more research on um, trying to work out how some of this stuff works tribally and um, I was very interested in the whole um, uh, Kurung, Kurunguru, I think it's called um, movement that, that swept over inland Australia uh, from about the 1890s to about the 1910s and it went, it went virtually from the whole of West Australia all the way to the whole of Queen, well, a good chunk of inland Queensland and, and Northern Territory, so it's big and a great chunk of South Australia. so a very large area. And you've got to remember back then, th- these are all pretty, um, there wasn't um, you know, towns and things back then, so it was, it, was, it was pretty much just stations here and there. I was trying to work out how a lot of that uh, worked and, and reading a lot of the, the stuff from Duncan Kemp, who actually grew up with the Mythica people, she talks about there being squads and, and uh, lodges, warrior lodges, and there was ranking within these. And she talks about the lizard men, the, 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 the storm birds, um, the, um, mm-hmm. the eagle hawks, and these were actually uh, totemic groups, and they would operate through a number of, of different um, uh, tribes, uh, like the dingo, there was the dingo uh, or the, or the what they call the medicine man, um, uh, dogs, and they would actually howl to each other to communicate, and, and they and they and they train up young boys in, in their in their society, and, and you know you, you'd get ranking through there you, 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 by doing braver and braver things. And these were basically the what you call the guerrilla groups. So the, you know they, they would mm-hmm. actually do a lot of the raids and things, and also enforcing the law in places. And and because the gradings were um, across uh, tribal groups. Uh, you know, you could have status then. Because I often wondered about these, they talked about the Eagle Hawk or the Eagle Chiefs. You, you've got Busamari in, in southwest Queensland. you've got, um, you know, uh, Moppy and Maltagra called Eagle Chiefs and there were other figures like that towards Sydney. And then when I looked at it, it was actually they were probably uh, because they were in the Eagle Hawk Lodge. So that's what, probably quite likely because mm-hmm. when Don Kent says that that was one of the big, one of the big warrior groups was the Eagle Hawks. And that's very similar to the, the system you have in North America, or for that matter, in Africa, and um, uh, you had on the Solomon Islands. You, you had these what they call graded societies. So you would actually, how you'd create um, an organization that's that's across a number of groups, uh, you know, to, to fight against the, an enemy is, is, mm-hmm. is through this. It's a really an honor system. So it's not like uh, there's not not a general that's forcing you to 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 do this or that, but it's just you want to up your ranking. So you, you try to do braver things and, and, and more, um, um, you know, or you might, you know, or give gifts to the people higher up, or so on, and, and in that way you, you rise in, in ranking, and you'd actually have particular scarification and particular items that you wore that would actually show your your ranking, and, and people would would respect you for that, and, and they actually then had authority over much larger areas than would normally be the case, and that's from what I can work out how a lot of it worked. Why why people would honour, say, old Moppy, you know, when when he wasn't from their group, it had a lot to do with with the, his his uh, you know I, I suppose you call his military ranking was, which, which was also a ceremonial thing it was sort of both. Um, mm. and so you, you get these sort of uh, these sort of warrior chiefs, and I think that that sort of needs to be looked at because it, it's also like a chain of command and. Whenever you read the accounts, they talk about that. It would be there would be, there would be a, 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 an elder who was actually giving commands, and then other and, and other people would be putting them through. It wasn't just like people just standing there and and hoping that it all works out. They did have strategies in place.
0: Well, isn't that uh, like and- you know, like that, that was some of the stories of Dundalee, um, that you know he, he was never caught. Sort of um, in a like he, he I believe he was like charged for a few things, but on a lot of the raves that he was involved in, he was always spotted as sort of somebody standing back shouting sort of orders, Um yes. whether, or, whether or not he was a part of that sort of like Eagle Hawk sort of group, but like, you know, he was sort of seen as a, you know, as a significant person who would, you know what I mean? Like, uh, give yeah, orders. I think, I think that's
1: it. I think that's it because see often the thing is like they said, well, he didn't himself actually kill this and that person, but the point is he was in charge, you know? And, um. Yeah, from what I can work out, he was a Kringal, He was a he was a, a high ranked. He was like the the henchman or of the uh, of would be like maybe an elder who was in charge of people like him. But but he would he would be like the warrior leader of of the group. So he he was immensely important. Um, and I think there was there was a lot of these sort of uh, henchman figures. They, in in Arnhem Land, they call them the the sneaky raiders. It's a funny kind of term, but they would um, often be kind of like. Uh, Almost like loner leaders, you know, like the lone wolf sort of thing. Uh, Although, obviously, they did belong to societies, but but often their actions had to be kind of so bold that they could do it by themselves, uh, unaided if they had to. Mm -hmm. Uh, A number of these would would take vows, you know, like some of them were on the dead, you know, to, uh, you know, a good example is is Maltagra, you know, he, he took a vow, he killed six white people because of the death of his father. Uh, and the same similar thing that would happen in Arnhem Land, you know, you, you'd be on a vendetta for because of some wrong. Um, and, and they became uh, uh, amazingly efficient at this. But um, I think there's so there's there's a bit of the two things going on there's sort of like this individual uh, payback rating thing, and then there's also sort of more organized
0: stuff. Mm, it's interesting, you yeah, hearing these as well um, and sort of under uncovering you know uh the roles that sort of you know uh, Aboriginal people had uh in those days as well um and and like just thinking like yeah that you know it wasn't mob just sort of you know uh running around and just sort of attacking you know what I mean there was sophistication about um you know um well I'll, I'll where, where, where to organize you know yeah, yeah. where to organize yeah. a battle um how to participate within them as well and sort of yeah sorry you're saying
1: well, a, a good example of this, and I found this repeatedly used, is, is the coordination in um, like if they were going to attack a homestead that had a, uh, or, or an outstation that had a a, a cattle yard or, or a sheep yard. I find this again and again, they talk about, there'd be one portion of the of the group would be camping at, like, you know, peacefully, so called, at some distance. Um, and they'd send out the missionaries, they'd send out like women or someone who was ready friendly to sort of scout and see how things were. So they they've already got two roles. Um, and that these these would then signal to, to a whole lot of hidden warriors who, who would often usually be down behind a creek or in a, in a little valley, who then come up and surround the the homestead. And basically what they did is they'd keep it in siege. Um, and, and while they're holding it in siege, then then the rest of the, the, the group, there'd be warriors in the, in the so-called peaceful mob who'd then come out and then Drive out all the uh, all the cattle or the or the sheep, and because they're doing it on foot, it takes them a while. So that's why they're holding the um, the, the homestead in, in siege, so, so that not, so they can actually take them a good distance away, um, and and that takes a few people to sort of you know uh, mm. keep a flock going in in one direction, and so and so. So they're they're all doing that on that, and the meanwhile they're they're, they're having this siege over there. And the idea of, of that is often to they would they, would, uh, they some of us try to drive the the owners out completely. You know, they just terrorise them until they gave up, or they they'd wait till they finished all their ammunition. Um, but all of that, when you think about it, is is it takes some it shows a lot of thought. And and I found these, these when I looked into it because it doesn't come across when you read the accounts. But then when you actually start adding it up, and you think, you well wait a minute, he's doing that, she's doing that, and they're doing that, and so they thought all this out um, as a sort of a, a a plan. And 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 I'm finding more and more of this. It, but it's it, it's the same like the, the whole thing that Dale would uh, have told you about you know that they sort of lured the soldiers into the into the swamp so they mm. could so they could really uh, be at advantage and, and what Maltagra did too going up um, one Tree Hill because they knew that that was an incredibly steep rocky slope if you've ever been up to it you know it's, it's no wonder anyone can go up there without breaking something um and and they knew that actually from the top of that you know, when you're at the top you can't I mean, you can see what's down below, but the people under there, underneath, can't see you. So they they were always using the environment, the environment, and, and dragging whites into it in such a way that they had an advantage. And I, I think more and more that that will come out. But it, what what gets me too is the fact that there were, were ranks, and there were there was sort of insignia that people had, and I'm I'm trying to get a bit of a handle on what that is. I, I I'm hoping to find more in the research. It's uh, one thing I'm, which I discussed with you earlier really which fascinated Was was for the, um, the the Guru or whatever that that, that movement that, that was all through inner Australia, um, and that that was said to be coming out of the Earth Mother's belly. That, that movement, and the, and so anyone who was dedicated to that would actually wear like a like a black palm on their um on their shoulder, like a sort of a sign, mm. so that that he knew that that was someone who was uh, uh, basically a comrade. In the fight, and this was, and you think of that—the the distance involved, all all over inland Australia—and and, and it was basically a thing where they uh, basically stopped working for whites. Um, they would then um, um, attack anyone who was breaking the law, white or black, you know. Uh, and they had they had a very strong sort of like a secret police. They called the E the who were like messengers and kept an eye on things. So they basically tried to sort of again like starve out the whites in a way. Like they just sort of abandoned, the, the, didn't work the stations anymore. So um, you think about the coordination there, and and there it's, it, it's not like enforced. It's not like some um, political person is is putting that on it. It's because it's because all these people have agreed to that they all want to be part of this movement. But there will always be factions and schisms, and and you know because of the democratic nature of Aboriginal society. Uh, the same thing happened in North America. Like people would think, oh, Sitting Bull was a great war chief, but you know there were a lot of people that hated him in his own group. That, that and they, they went off and formed their own little, little group, and they had their own dealings with whites. Um, um, because you know he didn't have ultimate power; he just had as much power as he could uh, muster. And I think that's the same what happened in in, uh, in Australia that it, that there was um it was still a voluntary thing. It was If someone was charismatic, they could have enormous influence. And also they'd have enormous influence if they were already sort of highly ranked, you know, ceremonially and militarily. But um, at the end of the day, uh, people would have different viewpoints and that was all right. But, you know, so we have to always put that in the picture. Mm,
0: mm, definitely. yeah, um, it, it, It's really interesting, you know, um, looking at sort of, at that, you know, and, and and sort of how it sort of e- you know it could be sort of easily for, for most for the most part of of a lot of us, you know, easily sort of left out of sort of you know how we find out about that information or, or, or you know or knowing it publicly and 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 being told about us. and and just in the frontiers, uh, wars in general, you know, not knowing about those as well. <clears throat> um, mm. It's always interesting. So another part I, I think we'll, like, we'll wrap up on after as well. Um, sure. um You mentioned about, like, the signal fires um, yeah. as well. You know, were they usually done from the same spots and the same sort of mountains? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and are they just sort of like, you know, normal places that, you know, everyday people would be travelling to nowadays that you would know of?
1: Oh, yeah. See, like, so I did a lot of work on that, trying to reconstruct that for around Brisbane because I live in Brisbane. And uh because there, there are like like William McKenzie, he talks about where a lot of them are located, and you've got um Thomas Hall he, he mentions some of the particular hills they're often um look a distinctive way, and what I notice is um there's two things going on: one is that usually there's a uh, they're fairly close to a, a camp either you know either you can signal from your camp or you can or otherwise you can see the signaling points. So it's often a good idea if you ever go to where the are uh, abandoned campsites, stand there and have a look at what's around you and, and you'd be amazed that you can always directly see, um, other spots where we, if you know the geography, where there's not a major camp. Um, so you can see how the, they, they easily form these networks because all you have to do is, um, you look where you know X, Camp X is and, um, Know, and oh, and you just watch, you know, even while you're cooking your meal or having doing your other things in in your camp. Um, and if there's a signal coming from there, then 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 you read it. It's as quick as an email, you <laughs> know. Um, and apart from that, they had these 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 sign spots. Uh, and, and often you'll find, as I said, like firstly, the camps are usually situated so they've got a lot of vantage points to these particular spots, uh, and they're different for each one. But but they, that they're all networked together, so you know one and then. Um, sends it off to another one and so on. But there were these specially assigned spots. And it, just like you had um, in Europe, you know, we had beacons. You had systems of beacons that one re- ran to another. So that these would actually be lined up. Um, they, they had like a, a special fire pit that it was always it it kept. But it was, uh, obviously, you don't want to have to send people, you know, five kilometres up a mountain uh, when you're... Uh, so it would have to be done from sort of fairly nearby. And that's why I said you'll find most camps have some high point. Not far from them. Mm. Um, the other thing is, too, they had uh, there were designated youths who were scouts who would actually always be keeping an eye out for signals, uh, even as you travelled, and and then they would they'd have fire sticks ready, and they would actually signal back uh, wherever you could reach a spot, and, and this was actually quite efficient. They they could get people together in a, in a in an incredible hurry. Um uh, a good example of that is um. Uh, there's articles by Benny, who was, a, she was an early settler on the Bunny Mountains, and so she said it was, it was amazing how they would almost turn up to the day uh, in, in particular spots. You know, So just by this complicated, and you've got to remember, there's also probably runners or you know, message sticks or whatever, but through all this happening, uh, you can get people sort of turning up at a, at a very specific spot on very specific times. Uh, and, and there's often accounts of that, that people drop everything and just just go uh, wherever they had to walk, you know, if it was urgent enough. And you could do that; you could tell that by, by reading the signal. And these these things can travel quite far. Some of these points, there's uh, some of them are like uh, you know 300 kilometers, you know, if it's a high enough spot, um, and if it's important enough news. Uh, there, there's accounts I have from sort of inland Australia where. A message would travel almost 960 kilometres ahead of the people, and by the time, like say, it's a party of explorers, and they turn up and they find that everybody there knows everything they've done, <laughs> and uh, you know, and that they knew, and that they they even told the other people there, you know, how many were coming, uh, and all the things that happened, and so you know, and then there's a whole gathering of people there that, but really, the story is already known, you
0: know. <laughs> mm, it's so, amazing, um, yeah. Like that, that's amazing, you know, like um like um, and, and in, in, in the art cover for for my podcast that was uh, one of the things that um, I wanted to depict um, on the image. So on the image, you know there's the, the, the initial sort of two things that you, that you see is the, the male uh, and the female um, Aboriginal people holding like weapons and uh, like guns and like a shield. Um, and then like the mat, like the outline of Australia in the Aboriginal flag colors. But then on the east right. coast side, you have um, a, sh- a British ship sailing sailing along and then you have spot fires as well. Like um, it, w- it was something that always interested me because I remember I'm um, like my partner made the image uh, not long after we had a conversation and I wanted right. to like, yeah, like just, I just thought that was amazing. Like, um, you know, one, because, you know, we only hear a smoke signaling and, and that from, you know, like uh, the United States from natives mob over that way uh, we never really heard of it um happening here uh, in australia and then after talking to you you know what i mean I, I couldn't stop sort of talking to people about it you know and then you bring it up more talking about how intricate it was and you know how you could have full conversations i guess you know as a like an oh, yeah. hour, a text you know
1: well they used to, they used to say that uh, you know there was ongoing chatter you know, and and you see, some people were really efficient at it, and they would just like light a little, little fire, and then they'd be, you know, and they, they, would, they said there was a, there was constant chatter between the camps, and and um, it was often when explorers would come to a place, they would be surprised how everybody knew where everyone was and what they were doing and what had happened, and and they weren't even at the camp; they were they were miles and miles away, but, mm. but because they they kept that up, um, smoke was mm. used. Very, um you know, fish, cleverly
0: yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm. Well,
1: and, I f- and look, I said too there, and it seems to have been like a, I mentioned to you before about like when Cook was travelling, he noticed the smokes, you know, popping up ahead of him along the coast and also running inland as he went. So there was like a coastal defence, uh, which I, I found very interesting. There was a awareness of you know of, of people, and, and that's what you have to think of too. When, when you think, oh gosh, why are they so aggressive? Well. Yeah, every nation's aggressive and there's aliens, you know, turning up on your shore. It's not really a uh, particularly uh, Indigenous thing. It's something everyone does. It's yeah. always a very cautious and strange interaction.
0: Well, you know, um, they, 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 you know Europeans landed and were that offended by us that they wanted to get rid of us. You know, like, um, mm. it, it was, you know what I mean? It, you know, it was sort of something that... You know um, whether or not you know people can foresee these things. You know, like it's just something that you're always very wary of. You know when intruders sort of come and and like as we spoke earlier in the podcast, in that um, it was sort of how you interacted with sort of um, um, coming into sort of those nations. You know, yeah. like you know this yeah. this is a ship that's sort of you know sailing up along the coast trying to find somewhere where to come in. You know, and people like, hey, wait a minute. You know, this looks a bit you know creepy and. You know, we might mm. just sort of warn well, the
1: other mob. Well, and you notice the difference. You, you, you'll see, like, like the castaways. They they kept saying um, how well they were treated by everyone, and, and they they just everyone was just so generous and nice to them. Um, it's it, it, it definitely on, like, what you're doing there. If you're coming with guns and you're shooting people who are walking down the beach, well... No, they're not going. You know, that they, they won't be that won't be taken very, very lightly. Particularly if you're if you're a foreigner, you just sort of come up, turn up, and you know. So, and I, I find it very interesting when you read the different accounts of people who were uh, marooned and end up with Aboriginal people. And really, all it just shows you is it, it's their own story. It, it's really just, mm. it's just their experience is exactly what they would have experienced anyway in any society because. Mm. because if they're a nice person, then that's, you know, or, or they're, yeah. and if they're, they're greedy, then, then they, they get a certain other experience. And, and yet, yet, weirdly, they, they take that and say, oh, look, that's how Aboriginal people were like. Well, no, the person's just, just doing certain things and getting certain reactions. <laughs> so it's a, it's a very personal thing when you, when you start preparing these. It's often fascinating mm. because some of us it's the same group and yet it's, one castaway has got such a different experience from another. Mm. You, you can see that it's uh it's not really the people but the what you bring into a situation well, well right? and
0: you mentioned you know the the sort of battles uh on morton and strati and you know the other <laughs> sort of cast away you know uh, getting blocked you know along the coastline uh to come yeah, up because uh, that, uh, know, the whaler the whale, yeah. whale, sorry yeah 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 you know what i mean like he you know mm-hmm. they were sort of you know what i mean um they were not taunted, but they were told not to come here because, you know, um, you were here, you know, uh, you, you know people like you, who look like you were here, you know, causing trouble and, and fighting with our mob, so. Well,
1: and, and that would, look, we do the same World War Two. you know, Japanese came on, on Australian shores, they were shot. you know, um, mm. because what are they doing here? Uh, uh, you know, particularly if, if the only uh, interaction you've had has been not pleasant, then why would you... Why would you think that this person coming in is going to be different? You know? so <laughs> it, um, it came in a ship like the other ones, and uh, that didn't go well. So yeah, it, it, it does make sense in the, in the in the when you think about it, through, But it, it's funny how that doesn't often get done. Mm.
0: Well, now thanks, Ray, for coming on again yeah. and and having a yarn with. With myself uh, on on another episode of uh, Frontier War Stories, um, it's always Great. Uh, a pleasure to get you on as well.
1: Well, you're doing a wonderful job, uh, Bo, and I'm always recommending your, your uh,
0: material to the schools because you've got such a rich variety of people that you
1: you choose, and it's, and it's uh, you know getting into the nitty gritty of it all. So good mm-hmm. on you!
0: No, thanks Thank for you. that as well. Yeah. Uh, and this has been episode 19 and i'm uh, i have been speaking uh with ray kirkov on frontier wall stories